0: Justify. Prove to be right or reasonable. Justification is at the heart of all legal and political argument. But at a time when argument itself is slave to appearances, it is time to bring back a culture of justification. Justify, a podcast on law and politics in India from the Vidhi Centre for Legal Policy, hosted by Orgo Sengupta.
1: Welcome back to the second season of Justify. Thank you for tuning in again. With the pandemic, a lot of water has flown under the bridge. Many of us have lost some of our near and dear ones. May they rest in peace. And may all of us have the strength to see the pandemic through. After a very successful first season, a lot of you suggested that since this is a show that you listen to in the evenings, it can be slightly lighter, more accessible, and with less legal ease. Also that since it really isn't a current affairs show, and there are plenty of current affairs podcasts on law that have come up recently, we stick to our core strength, and that is an Adda. When I was growing up in Calcutta in the late 80s and 90s, a staple to-do of weekend evenings for my parents was an Adda. For the uninitiated, this was a conversation about all things ranging from the latest football match between East Bengal and Mohun Bagan to Foucault's panopticon and everything in between. In between, there could be some music, some trivia and lots of food and drink. The point wasn't to change things. It was to open one's mind to other points of view, to hear and be heard, and end the evening more human than one was when it began. This is what we hope to recreate on the show, chat about contemporary issues on law and policy, intersperse it with some music, Throw in some trivia with Clatter, our legal quiz, that's a bit tougher than Clat, postponed or otherwise. And though we can't do food and drink on the show, our prizes this time will still be gift vouchers from Amazon, which is, after all, the everything store. Today's episode, the first one, is on free speech in India. Two judgments on prior restraints on free speech were handed down by the Supreme Court and the Andhra Pradesh High Court in September. The Supreme Court restrained Sudarshan News from telecasting future episodes of its program, Bindas Bowl. The channel was planning to continue a series called UPSC Jihad on how Muslims were planning to infiltrate India's civil services. The Supreme Court stopped future broadcasts of the episodes with an interim order. It also continued the hearing because it said it needed to foster a considered debate on setting up standards of self-regulation. The Andhra Pradesh High Court also passed an interim order restraining all media from publishing any information about an FIR which was registered against the former Advocate General of Andhra Pradesh and other accused persons relating to land purchases in Amravati before it was announced as the new capital of Andhra Pradesh. Both matters are now pending further hearing. This provides us with a great point of departure to discuss the question. Is speech in India today, actually free? To discuss this, I have two very special guests. Justice Chalamishwa, former judge of the Supreme Court of India, and part of the bench that delivered the judgment in Shreya Singhal's case, that widely credited with protecting free speech on the internet. I also have Tripur Daman Singh, author of a terrific book, 16 Stormy Days, on how the First Amendment to the Constitution of India, which among other things, restricted free speech, came to be passed. Welcome, Justice Chalaveshwar and Tripur Daman. Thanks very much for being here.
0: Thank you. Absolute pleasure.
1: So, Tripur Daman, I'll start with you uh, and from your book. India's uh, history of free speech is, of course, a, a very checkered one and uh, we often forget that it was the first government of Pandit Jawaharlal Nehru, which was actually the Constituent Assembly sitting as the provisional parliament, that allowed governments wide powers to restrict free speech. Uh, Mm -hmm. Of course, constitutional lawyers would know that as Article 19.2 of the Constitution. What, in your view, has been the historical attitude of governments in India towards free speech? And uh, whether it's restrictions for in informal form of bans, censorship, criminal cases, are they really a recent phenomenon?
0: I don't think they're a recent phenomenon. I mean, the laws itself date back uh, to the colonial period. Um, so there is there is a historical trajectory. Uh, to most of these legal instruments, especially the, all of the instruments in the Indian Penal Code, but I think the First Amendment is such a crucial turning point, and it's, it is a crucial turning point because um, the Constituent Assembly had been very clear that, as far as uh, you know, issues issues of sedition, for example, or Section One Fifty Three A went that these were not instruments that they wanted used in free India. And that is also the attitude that the judiciary took. Um, and that is also what uh, the press and civil society assumed. So uh, I think yes, there's a checkered history, but there are also this there are also bright spots. And uh, it's very important to remember that there were those bright spots. Uh, and the judiciary has been, you know, one of the big bright spots as far as that is concerned.
1: Before we get to the judiciary, if you could take us through the passage of those of the first amendment through those sixteen stormy days, uh, in in sort of maybe sixteen non-stormy seconds, (laughs) would be great.
0: In a nutshell, basically the government had faced uh, a lot of embarrassment. In its attempt to censor uh, to censor free speech, so there had been a pre-censorship order against the organizer, and of course there had been an outright ban on the uh, left magazine, a a sort of communist-leaning magazine called Crossroads, uh, which had led to these two very now very famous cases: Romesh Thapar versus the state of Delhi, um, sorry, Romesh versus the state of Madras, and uh, Bridgebushan versus the state of Delhi and because uh in both these cases um the supreme court had taken a quite a strident position as far as free speech was concerned read article 19 in a quite an expansive uh expansive fashion uh the government eventually responded with uh with all of these restrictions via the first amendment and it was incredibly controversial even uh even then it was opposed by Figures across the political spectrum, and what is really interesting to note is how many voices from civil society, uh, you know, made a point of uh, of intervening in the public debate. And I think uh, that's again something we would do well to remember.
1: Yeah. So, Justice Jelmeshwar, I'll uh, I'll take that to you. Uh, Mm. Attitude of the Supreme Court in Ramesh Thapar and Bridge Busher in sort of widely expanding the or a wide generous reading of Article 19 1A, which, of course, led to the First Amendment. How far do you think that that attitude continues or continued after the First Amendment came into being, which obviously authorized restrictions because of the security of state in the interest of public order, decency, morality? Uh, How do you think the Supreme Court reacted? Is it the same Supreme Court that gave Robesh Thapar or was it… More deferential to to state
2: restrictions. In more than one way, it is not the same Supreme Court, I suppose. For the reasons, the composition of the court keeps changing almost every three four years, and uh, the the First Amendment to the text of the Constitution makes a huge difference to the to to, to the court ultimately when the court is required to let down the law primarily it is bound by the text of the constitution the constitution authorizes uh, restrictions in certain areas subject to the question that those restrictions are consistent with the authority conferred uh, by the constitution necessarily the attitude of the court would be different and it uh, it is uh, it is seen in uh, in practice over a period of time
1: that's right. But as Tripur was mentioning, that there still, despite the fact that the constitution now authorizes wider restrictions, which of sure. course the court is duty bound to uphold, uh, right. there are these bright spots. For example, Bennett Coleman, Circle Newspapers, as in our Indian Express, as in these are all sort of in some sense, bright spots. Would you, do you tend to concur with that or do you have a different reading?
2: There there are certainly bright spots. There is no difficulty, though I may not agree with the examples you have given, for example, you know, talking about Bennett Coleman or something like that. All those uh, judgments which dealt with the commercial aspect of the freedom of the press. Eventually, what is the freedom of the press that was upheld in some of these matters? their right to secure an advertisement from the co- Okay, it may be necessary. No, this is, this is a, a corporate press and its uh, survival depends upon the financial uh, stability. Now, to secure that financial stability, one uh, major uh, component is the state support by way of advertisements. And whenever those advertisements are denied to some newspaper, of course, on some occasions, the courts uh, reports and also the Supreme Court laid down the principle that, but point is, the commercial aspect of free speech is different from uh, the free speech simpliciter. When it comes to the free speech simpliciter, I I would uh, ask you for uh, better examples.
1: So is the point that you're making that that when it comes to free speech simplicity, which I mm. uh, by that I, 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 I perhaps interpret that as meaning individuals exercising their right to dissent. Share single, share yes, yes,
2: no, of course, it's a different matter that I happen to be a signatory to that judgment, therefore I don't want to talk much about that. But these are areas, really, uh, they have nothing to do with the commerce.
1: That's right. No, but is, my question is that is the point that you're making that in cases which are dealing with free speech simpliciter, protest, dissent, fighting words, hate speech, are you right. saying that the Supreme Court perhaps has not been as liberal as it has been in cases… I of believe
2: of so. I, not, I, I'm not saying it is totally… Uh, but it is more liberal when it came to the commercial uh, rights of the free speech, the commercial rights associated with free speech.
1: Right. So Tripur Daman, coming back to you, because you mentioned these bright spots, could you tell us a couple of bright spots that you had in mind in terms of the judicial history?
0: Cases like, I mean, e- cases like A.K. Gopalan, for example, or uh, much later cases like Minerva Mills. I mean, cases through which uh, even the sort of basic structure doctrine through Kesavananda Bharti, which has been admittedly my understanding of uh, the legal process comes from a, because I'm not a qualified lawyer uh, i I always see these things as a kind of method by which the Supreme Court has erected an a dike so to say uh, for fundamental rights and as um how strong it is of course is not for me to judge but I still see it as a kind of bright spot because. In India, we there's almost a constant struggle against executive power, and it's uh, it's like a war of attrition, if if I might call it. So I think I would I would see all of these things as as, as kind of bright spots.
1: Yeah, these are good examples in terms of the judiciary checking executive power. Uh, mm-hmm. I think what I'm taking away from this is is that the judiciary is chooses its. Cases carefully when it takes mm-hmm. on executive power, and pure form cases of treason and sedition uh, are perhaps not those cases because obviously we've had cases where the law against sedition was upheld as a reasonable restriction on free speech, and we we all know these cases that exist. And and perhaps but,
0: sorry, just yeah. if I button, in, is it that that of course is a post First Amendment thing because. Pre First Amendment, you had the Tara Singh case, where uh, the the judiciary was as unambiguous as I would, could possibly expect in in stating that this was uh, unconstitutional. So, as as, as Justice Chalameshwar pointed out, the court is, I, in a sense, I would say, bound uh, bound by its constitutional obligations.
1: That's right, and of course, Kedar Nath Singh was the state of Bihar. Perhaps is one of the dark spots. In that sense uh, of of India's free speech jurisprudence, and and perhaps that's the reason because I was just uh, looking at some recent uh, instances. Perhaps that's the reason as to why we find that till this date, and perhaps increasingly so, uh, the executive continues to use powers under the criminal law to to put incarcerate people for things they have said. So just a couple of examples that I put out. In 2019, Faham Azim Siddiqui was arrested by the police and charged with sedition for five years after posting a morphed photo of the prime minister. Uh, A few years before that, Ambikesh, who was a professor in Calcutta, was was charged similarly for making cartoons of the chief minister mamta banerjee uh, the Chhattisgarh police booked the journalist kamal shukla under sedition charges for sharing an allegedly inflammatory post the post which was a cartoon on the judiciary and politicians shared after the supreme court's judgment in judge loya's case As it, so there are it goes across party lines it goes across institutions and and what we generally tend to see is that despite these bright spots which have ex- existed Cases of this nature are commonplace. So, Justice Shalameshwar, taking that to you, there have been bright spots on free speech. There have also been cases such as the ones that Tripundamman spoke about, whether it be Keshwananda or Minerva Mills, where the executive, the judiciary in his language has erected dikes against the executive. But what explains this kind of uh, uh, enthusiasm of governments? to keep filing criminal law cases against people who are are merely expressing their point of view even innocuously, like through a Facebook post?
2: My my own understanding is that uh, it is the nature of the power. Generally, people in power uh, won't like criticism. And uh, I I believe, I, I I, I hope I'm wrong. As a society, we Indians are uh, less tolerant to criticism, particularly if we happen to be in power. Mm. If you are out of power, of course, we have no choice but to be tolerant. If we are in power, it, whatever be the nature of the power—maybe it is executive power or judicial power or whatever is the nature of the power—the uh, the tolerance levels are uh, uh, slightly lower, according to me. Now, that experiment thats my view. In fact, and I. In one of my judgments, I quoted, uh, I don't really remember which one of the judgments. There's an old uh, uh, anecdote. When Cromwell was the Lord Protector, some scurrilous material was uh, circulated, some pamphlet kind of thing. So one of his friends brought it to the notice and uh, suggested that action be taken. the matter. There's a famous statement, I'm sure uh, you must have come across that. So Cromwell uh, famously said... If my comment is here to stay, I have nothing to worry about a paper short. Let him have the paper; I'll have my comment. That perhaps is the most healthy attitude in these matters. But then, uh, well, uh, I will, I don't know. I certainly didn't find this level of uh, liberal minds in in this country. In the last, no, there, there are of course, but then generally, generally speaking, people get offended too too fast.
1: That's right. That's right. And I think we've we've we reached some ridiculous mm-hmm. ridiculous mm-hmm. extents of taking offense. I think mm-hmm. over over time. Sorry, you were con- mm-hmm. you were saying something still. So, just
2: uh, I think it's first so of the nature of the power. Perhaps secondly, it is uh, the social structure of this country that people in authority are less and less uh, tolerant of racism. criticism
1: so tripurdan i know you're not a lawyer but you're certainly a free speech historian so uh, using your lens uh, do you think that uh, that indians have been uh, have become more prickly about taking offence uh, over time or is this something that you think has existed always something from your research perhaps that could illuminate What's happening here? And just as an example, just as I, I'm an avid Bollywood watcher, and uh, and and there, there was a spate of 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 cases uh, about a decade or so ago where people wanted all kinds of things changed in lyrics of Bollywood songs. That's I remember Gulzar had written a a, a piece of uh, lyrics in a film which which uses the word teli ka tel. Okay, teeli is a cast of people who work with oil. Mm-hmm. And and there was a huge uproar. And, and if you hear the song now, there is this very odd expression called Dilli Ka okay, Tail, which makes no sense whatsoever, but because the tailies took offense. And similarly, there was a film called Billu Barber, which mm-hmm. then became Billu, because apparently barbers took offense. So is this something that is a recent phenomenon? Or is this, is this something as a historian you think has gone on for Kingdom Come? Uh,
0: I, so one of the things that I noticed while... Uh while doing research on my on my last project on on the First Amendment, was uh, how angry politicians were getting with uh, their portrayals in the media and um, with uh, their. It, I mean, one of the one of the uh, the big sort of lead-ins to the Bridge Bushan case was the fact that the organizer was publishing. Uh, uh, essentially cartoons of, of, uh, Jawaharlal Nehru and Liaquat Katali Khan and, you know, with titles such as villains versus fools. Um, and this was really, really raising hackles. So I think there is, uh, as, as Justice Chalameshwar mentioned, I think there is, uh, there is actually something in Indian society. There's a, of course, liberalism of that sense has always tended to be a bit of an outlier, but also I think levels of social trust, um, or even like, a uh, almost a sort of non-acceptance of, uh, of um, humor uh, is, is something that you can kind of see across, across the board. And it's almost as visible in 1950 as it is now in 2020.
1: Yeah, that's right. I think I'm reminded of what Albie Sachs, the South African Constitutional Court judge, had written in one of his judgments. And he started by saying that the law must always have a sense of humor. And I think that's 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 something that not just the law, but I think anyone in public life seems to be seems to be lacking. Uh, but I I think I, I'd like to move on to a second subject, which is which is very critical in this discussion of free speech, and that is hate speech. And hate speech is of course an area that is widely accepted as requiring some form of prohibition. And uh, this is speech that incites violence, as in in American constitutional parlance, it's called the Fighting Words Doctrine. And India, of course, has criminal law that makes hate speech, that is speech that spreads hate towards a particular religion, caste, or community, uh, an offense that can land someone in jail for three years. Uh, Justice Chalamishwar, how do you see Section 153A of the IPC, do you Think a is it a reasonable restriction on free speech, or on the other hand, do you think that it's good enough, or do we need to do more to prevent hate speech? No,
2: I personally believe it's a reasonable restriction on free speech. Anything which is likely to disturb the peace of the society generally, it can't be consistent with the constitutional values of free speech or any one of those constitutionally guaranteed rights. But point is. How, how effectively that provision is uh, enforced is a different question. I think we need a uh, lot of research into it. How many times that uh, provision was effectively invoked and enforced. It is there in the statute book. Now, quite a large uh, number of cases, people get away with uh, an objectionable speech which can fall within the, within the framework of uh, that prohibition what i believe is that you know, that we may not need any further uh, statutory approaches but an effective implementation of what is there
1: that's right but let me take the the premise of your point because i don't have the data in terms of the number of cases filed under 153a i think that would be interesting to do uh, but if we take the premise where you said that of course anything that that affects order in society as it is a reasonable restriction, as it is of the wording this, of Article 19.2. But then let me take the example of of the parallel in the First Amendment in the U.S. Uh, mm. and, and the fact that burning the national flag is seen as an ex- also seen as an expression of free speech, as is cross-burning, which is widely understood as demonstrating hostility towards African Americans. Now these are these are definitely actions or speech that is causing some kind of lack of tranquility, uh, particularly cross-burning, which is directed towards a particular community. So can can we think about how we draw the line here? That Do we say that all such cases are reasonable? Do we say that some cases are reasonable restrictions, but some are not? How do we draw this line?
2: See, the cultural values and the tolerance levels of societies vary. And uh, for the same society, these things may vary from time to time. At a particular point of time, what is uh, accepted as a tolerable uh, speech, might become, uh, might uh, whip up uh, violence at, at another point. It all depends on this. So, therefore, the whether we, sh- whether we should see, for example, after the Jehovah's Witnesses case in US, now the Indian Supreme Court, if you recollect that judgment mm-hmm. of Justice Chenabredi, what is that, Emmanuel? Joe
1: Emmanuel. Joe Emmanuel.
2: Emmanuel. Emmanuel, uh, Emmanuel's case. Where uh, just the Supreme Court invoked uh, that he was witnesses, uh, judgment of the Supreme Court. By and large, uh, of course, Chinnabhairadevi was uh, very bitterly criticised in certain quarters uh, for the judgment. It's part of the uh, any judge. So long as it, the criticism is academic, there shouldn't be any difficulty. We should welcome it actually. But uh, virtually, it became a personal attack, questioning his nationalistic credentials. So that's where uh, the trouble starts. Now you may say that his judgment is not consistent with the constitutional values as as uh, uh, as interpreted by the court from time to time. It's a different matter. One may say it. One may agree with. It, one may not agree with. It. But merely because just and what did he do? He imported a principle which was uh, initiated by our supreme court. And the minute uh, that is done, you start accusing, and questioning his uh, nationalist credentials. Now, it is certainly not a tolerance. You are crossing the the line. So, these are the areas which create trouble.
1: That's right. And I think, as in just for our listeners who may not have. Uh, come across this judgment. This was judgment relating to Jehovah's Witnesses and their uh, standing up for the national anthem in India, and whether they had a. It was part of their freedom of religion not to stand up for the national anthem and pray to anyone except Jehovah. Uh, and and Justice Chinnappa Reddy had upheld that right uh, in that case. I wonder as in how that would have been seen even even today. But as, as, as you made very clear, it was not taken. To very kindly at that time as well. Um, uh, but, uh, well, some segment of people. Not most of the people
2: simply didn't bother either way.
1: Yeah. No. I was just thinking that you know, in the age of social media, perhaps this would have been this would have, this yeah. would have been blown out of proportion significantly. Now, coming to coming to the world of social media that we live in, because that obviously seems to make a difference to the way in which both freedoms and duties are exercised, uh, because everybody has a microphone now. Uh, and 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 everyone's voice smartphone,
2: be, smartphone not microphone.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a smartphone, you can, you a, can, you
2: seems can. Like,
1: yeah. You everyone has a smartphone which is like a microphone which makes everyone's voice audible to the rest of the world. Uh, you can raise the whole world, yeah. As in so much more than a microphone. Maybe I have to, my analogies have to keep up with the times. Uh, mm-hmm. but uh, but I'll come back, I'll circle back to where we started with, with this Bindas bowl show, uh, and uh. We can, as we can play a clip for, for, for folks, to, folks to try and understand what this was about. But very simply, what uh, uh, the show was about, and, and I had written in the aftermath of it, that the single point focus of the program as broadcasted appears to be to create a frenzy of fear based on the perception that Muslims by design are attempting to take over the civil services in India and that state authorities are complicit in this exercise. सरकारी नौकरशाही में मुसलमानों के घुसपैठ पर बड़ा खुलासा। आखिर अचानक मुसलमान आईपीएस आईएस में कैसे बढ़ गए? सबसे कठिन परीक्षा में सबसे ज़्यादा मार्क्स और सबसे ज़्यादा संख्या में पास होने का क्या है रात? सोचिए जामिया के जिहादी अगर आपके जिलाधिकारी और हर मंत्रालय में सचिव होंगे तो क्या होगा? So, Tripur
0: Daban
1: as a person outside the legal fraternity, uh, especially given the fact that you have more roots in common sense than perhaps we do, do you think that there are any complex constitutional questions that this case raises, or do you think it's 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 a it's a case of hate speech, uh, simplicita?
0: Two points, just, just as 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 I kind of go into it. One is, I mean, conspiracy theories such as these, and I I the, my first uh, reaction when I heard about this case and I saw that clip. Uh, was that uh, these sorts of conspiracy theories again are something that throughout the world have been very uh very very common and even now i mean there are people who believe that you know hitler escaped argentina or they're like you know there's a nazi plot to take over the world that is still being hatched somewhere out in the wilds in patagonia uh, and so there are I, I mean these sorts of theories keep coming up but i think to as far as hate speech goes it it obviously it as as you pointed out in the article, there is there seems to be only one objective, and that is to demonize a particular community. And I think the legal arsenal that the government has, and uh, the sort of principles that the judiciary has delineated, has have have provided enough uh, enough ammunition to deal with an issue like that. I don't think it opens up uh, a constitutional question again. I, I I would have thought that as a as something that has. Already been settled.
1: Justice yes, Chalavesh, do you uh, tend to agree with that without going into the facts of this case in too much detail?
2: I I broadly agree with him. Actually, in my, my view, it was a case where the the, the authorities could have simply invoked that uh, section 153 air, whatever is of Indian, numbers are not uh, very seen. They could have simply invoked it anybody could have invoked that and a uh, lot of uh, complaint it was
1: not really a constitutional issue it is a question within the framework of the existing law that's right that's right but anyway it has given us an opportunity as in perhaps under the ages of the supreme court to try and see where this balance between 191a and 192 that was originally
0: S- thought
1: to be changed by the first amendment uh, lies today See, there I
2: say something. Just as a smartphone, we were talking about a few minutes back, this 32 and 226 jurisdiction over a period of time is slowly trying to short-circuit the regular established procedure of law. It is both the civil and criminal laws. Now, people simply rush to the Constitution courts for... uh, this this problem. Now there can be many many reasons for it. Maybe the regular legal process is painfully slow or ineffective. Therefore, uh, maybe it requires a great deal of analysis why it is happening. But the minute you reach the constitutional court, necessarily the projection is there is a constitutional issue. If somebody were to file a simple criminal case in that matter. Now, unless the accused decides to challenge that criminal proceeding as being opposed to his fundamental rights guaranteed under freedom of speech and so on and so forth, there is no constitutional issue there. Simply case, whether you answer the judge, you either you are found guilty or not guilty, there is the end of the story. The minute you rush to the Supreme Court or the High Court for that matter, and proven this any matter, not only this, never matter, then uh, the issues will become constitutional.
1: Mm-hmm. That's what I think that's a that's that's a great point because uh, Triple Double. Would you like to come in there? Hmm.
0: Uh, no, I, I was merely agreeing with with Justice Chalameshwar. That is a, that is a great uh, a great point, and I think people do have a tendency to kind of uh, because the low, the sort of record of the lower judiciary is so patchy uh, that people have there is the tendency to uh, to kind of leapfrog the regular channels, uh, and the other issue that I actually would. Wanted to say is that yes, uh, the um, the laws are all there, and uh, the the problem is that there seems to have been no consistency of application of who uh, gets convicted or who gets charged, and in the absence of that sort of consistency of application, you of it's it's quite hard uh, to for um, the judiciary really or to I mean the state generally, to be honest, to be able to lay down any sort of normative principles, to have you know first principles that um, that we know will be applied relatively consistently through space and time, and I think that's that's a question that uh, you know still still has to be addressed.
1: No, well, that's right, and I think what I'm what I'm taking away from this is the fact that we've got what seems to be in India now. A, uh, a society that's tending towards illiberalism, and we've got a state uh, across political parties uh, that's that's more prickly than than, than perhaps ever before. Uh, but states have always been prickly, and we've got a judiciary that uh, that is choosing cases selectively because people are making issues that are that that are sort of simple issues within the framework of criminal law. Uh, weighty constitutional issues, so the courts are weighing in on on some cases and perhaps not not on others. So, last word to both of you: How do we see this evolving? If you were if you were to just speculate about liberalism in India going forward and uh, and what the future holds for free speech. Uh, what do you think, Justice Chellamishra? Where are we headed? Are we heading towards more restrictions and self-censorship, or are we heading towards a world of social media where speech is speech is truly free and perhaps uh, uh, sometimes irresponsible?
2: Both. When you talk about free speech, free speech as uh, understood earlier in terms of uh, the print media, and at a later point of time, the the uh, TV, after the advent of a private enterprise in the TV business. Now, uh, certainly there are uh, there are restrictions and it's possible to handle them or mishandle them by the state. But the minute you have this internet and uh, you have the smartphones, and I understand there are some... Uh, Twenty crores of smartphones in this country in, in right now in use, and the numbers are going to increase. Now, free speech to the even to the extent of being a very unreasonable, as uh, Winston Churchill puts it, where there is a great deal of free speech, there is bound to be a certain amount of foolish speech. Perhaps there is a great deal of, uh, great number of uh, mobile phones available, smartphones available, there is bound to be a great deal of foolish speech in this. Era. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. Sure. So, therefore, uh, really, in that sense, it is not the question of law. It is really the technology, technology which is going to decide these uh, questions for in future. The authority of this, as as we have seen, if you re- if you recollect the events of 1990, when the Berlin Wall, around the time the Berlin, Berlin Wall uh, was tore down. Now, one factor—of course, it is an analysis I read somewhere. One factor which really helped this process was the the possibility of receiving the television programs from the western side of the wall, in, because that could not be stopped. People. people People crossing over the wall could be stopped, they could be shot down. But then there's no way the, the television waves could be stopped by any government, East, government, East German government or Soviet government. So therefore, uh, the technology is going to create uh, the freedom. And uh, well, whether people are going to use it wisely or unwisely is a different story. The tendency appears to be the freedom is likely to be abused.
1: That's right. Tripurdavan, I know you're a historian who prefers looking at the past, but if you were to look at the future? Uh,
0: I think I'd, I'd agree with Justice Chalamishar. I, there's, uh, with fast-changing technology, the you know, the birth of artificial intelligence, uh, the appearance of deep fakes, uh, there's going to be such a surface of information and such, I mean, so little trust as to what, which information is... Uh, uh, is verifiable or not? W- what is the truth, or what is not the truth? That it's it's going to become impossible, really, to have uh, these sorts of restrictions in any sort of meaningful sense. But uh, what people uh, again, I'm I'm a bit more optimistic. I think there is a kind of I think that with with the growth of adequate social trust, I think that these effects can be mitigated to a certain extent. Uh, as far as India is concerned. I, I mean, I'm just going to take like one second to quote uh, Sunil Khilnani from from my book, who described Indian liberalism as crippled from its origins, stamped by utilitarianism, and squeezed into a culture that had little room for the individual. And uh, to change that, I think, is is a much more difficult. Uh, proposition. I think that's that's a profound social question. Yeah. That,
1: that's right, and I so, think that's also a question. The point of which I? we can we can leave. But yes, last word to Justice oh,
2: sorry, I just last to word something. is always
1: to the judge. Mm. Well, I'm a retired
2: judge. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm sure uh, you must have read that book. Noah harari's uh, recent book. Twenty one lessons for the twenty first century. Did you? Mm-hmm. Did you? Anyway, I, so anyway, I haven't recent, read it. Yeah. Uh, please read it. it a very, very good thing. Like he says about the fake news, there are certain pieces in that book. He gives a particular instance. Sometime in 1255, a young boy was killed in a town called Lincoln in UK, allegedly by the local Jewish population in some ritualistic sacrifice, kind of. That is the belief. And then some 2021 20, Jews were uh, tried and executed. And, of course, uh, Harari, very, uh, I don't know whether humorously (laughs) or cynically says even in the absence of internet and Facebook, the news spread very fast across Europe. And then it became a pattern. And for a long time, for 500, 600 years, or 700 years, it was believed that Jews were responsible. Eventually, the church ultimately... Issued a statement saying that it was uh, uh, f- fake information, and uh, Harari uh, concludes that particular article saying some fake news uh, lasts only seven hundred years. He says. <laughs> so, so, so the possibility of fake news in the with artificial intelligence and all the modern technology yeah. is a very tantalizing uh, prospect. Absolutely, and, and, but it also and shows. You, and, Human beings are uh, at least have not exhibited uh, any great intelligence, in the history to not to abuse the technology.
1: Mm-hmm. That's right. And I think that's what it shows that you know technology is always a medium. It mm-hmm. exhibits either our best or our worst, and depending on what we want to demonstrate. And I think uh, we've had a terrific conversation and and, and I thank everyone uh, for listening in and particular thanks to Justice Chalamishwar and yeah. Sripur uh, for for joining me today. And uh, free, the, the history of free speech in India is a checkered one, so we have to see how it evolves. But we have been in difficult times, but as Sripur says, there are bright spots and we must cling on to them. Thank you very much. Thank you. For the listeners, the episode isn't over yet. Today's clatter question remains. So write in with your answers to justify at wikilegalpolicy.in. Here's our question for this week. In a 1906 book, the author who wrote under a pseudonym composed a sentence that has become synonymous with the freedom of speech. The sentence is often misattributed to another author who features in the title of this book that was written in 1906. What is the sentence that has become synonymous with free speech? And what is the title of this 1906 book? Write in with your answers to justify at vinilegalpolicy.in. Right answers stand a chance to get a very special Amazon voucher. Thank you once again for joining the show. But before you go, remember, speech is always free if we want it to be. The poet Fares says it best. Listen to the song. Take care and stay healthy adjourn bol ke lab azaad hai tere
2: bol zubaan bol ke
1: if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, follow us on Twitter at vidhi india for regular updates. We are on SoundCloud and Spotify as Vidhi Center for Legal Policies podcast. You can also listen to us on Google Podcasts or iTunes. Email us at justify at vithilegalpolicy.in to share your comments and feedback on this episode.